0: Good morning. Good morning. Hope you guys are doing well. Welcome to the King's Arms. Great to have you here. Have you had a good weekend? Some of you have. I've had a really nice weekend. Yesterday, I uh, took my daughter out for a daddy date, and uh, we spent an afternoon together eating cake and drinking coffee. Uh, We went shopping together, and she helped me buy a jumper. (laughs) And... uh, I guess I'm just hoping you guys think I'm manly enough to pull off pink. (laughs) Well, either way, I am secure. I think I can do this. And uh, so this is me in my brand new Lexi-chosen jumper, and uh, we we this morning are uh, starting off a new series, which we've given the title Perspective, okay? And what we want to do is be able to give God's perspective on some of the circumstances which we might find ourselves in, but see his perspective, which frankly sometimes might well be different to ours, okay? And uh, I remember with my uh, oldest of my three kids, James, when we took him for his immunizations, for his jabs. And uh, we did one of those moments in the um, kind of room with the nurses where where Philippa held James on her knee. And I kind of knelt down in front of him and he had his kind of bare legs out with a nurse either side. And I kind of held his hands and smiled at him. He was laughing and joking. And then the needles went in (coughs) at the same time, one in each thigh. And you kind of saw the, the lip starting to quiver and the eyes fill with tears. And you're kind of like, son, I'm really trying to do my best. I'm sure from his perspective, things might have not seemed so much. But as a loving dad, sometimes we really do have to walk through some things. And I just wonder whether through this season, actually God wants to give his perspective on some of the situations that you are walking through as well. So I hope you're up for that. Now, this book is incredibly important, all right? This is the Bible, and I would encourage every single one of you that this will change your life. There is power in this book, I recently came across a study, you know, that talked about how people uh, change in the midst of reading their Bibles. And what was fascinating was it was done by an organisation called Logos, and um, they did this study where they did some research and they found that if you were to read your Bible between one and three times every week, actually it doesn't make a huge amount of difference to your life at all. There was no noticeable change in people's lives. They weren't saying it was a bad thing. I would actually endorse it and say it's a good thing to read your Bible one to three times. However, then they told me the results of what happened when someone were to read their Bible four or more times every single week. This is what the results proved. They said that people are feeling lonely. The loneliness feelings dropped by 30%. By reading their Bible four or more times a week, um, anger noticeably dropped by 32%. It's fascinating. Feelings of bitterness in their lives dropped by 40%. Feeling uh, spiritually stagnant dropped by 60%. Okay? Then these are the two that got me the most, all right? People's ability and willingness to share their faith went up 200% by reading your Bible four or more times each week. And then the one, uh, which is the final one I'm going to share with you, is that their ability to disciple others meaningfully went up by 230%. Hey, listen, if you want some provocation this morning, so read your Bible right there. It will change your life. Now, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be digging into a psalm um, called Psalm 139. You can find it in your Bibles if you want to. Now, one theologian that I found... Um, said of this particular psalm that it's one of the summits of Old Testament poetry, all right? Now, I get it. We live in Bedford here. Bedford is remarkably flat. You've got to not think Cemetery Hill, more the Himalayas and Everest, all right? Can you do that for me? You know, take out of your Bedford mind and think more mountainous regions. This is a really high p- place that we're going to go to. And uh, the thing about the Bible, and this is one of the ways I would encourage you, think about the Bible is it's the only book in the world where every single one of us gets to read along with the author, all right? Because God himself wrote this book and he wrote it through people over many years but right now it's inspiring billions of people across the world and I would encourage you that we want to make this for us real today. So I'm going to get KJ to play in the background for us and I want you to engage with these words whether you look at them on the screen behind me or whether you close your eyes and just allow these words to penetrate your heart. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you today through his word you have searched me Lord and you know me you know when I sit and when I rise you perceive my thoughts from afar you discern my going out and my lying down you are familiar with all my ways Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, and the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? Or abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, we want to hear your voice today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, speak deeply into every single person here that they may receive your word and may fall more in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we thank KJ, who played so beautifully through that? You know, in this psalm, there is so much that we could talk about. There's so much that just kind of bursts off the page. Now, I would honestly encourage you, go away, read it, chew on it, pray over it, digest what Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. But what I've been finding as I've been looking at this passage is that these 24 verses actually break down neatly into four different sections of six verses each. And so we're just going to touch on each one in turn. Now listen, just for a moment of vulnerability, I guess, is that sometimes when we stand up as preachers, we're uh, given a particular uh, passage and a topic to, to talk about. And so we'll you know, dive into those verses and we'll wrestle with them as we're journeying through a book. There are other occasions when we want to talk or teach more thematically. But on this occasion, through this Perspective series, what we wanted to do is allow those who are teaching to share what they feel like God is speaking to them right now. So you can, in one respect, welcome to my world. But what's interesting is that I've been wrestling with a few insecurities of my own recently and almost like going through some difficult decisions and some uh, kind of circumstances which are really putting pressure on me. Now, in those kind of pressures, what we find is that sometimes we can flip back into our old way of of living. I don't know whether you've ever found that. And uh, honestly, I would love to say to you, as one of the leaders in this church, that actually, I've grown to a place of maturity where I no longer feel any sense of anxiety. I would be lying, All right? I don't want to do that to you. And so, interestingly, in, um, in the gospel, I think it's in John 16, Jesus in, in, indeed says, in this life, you will have troubles. Eek. Ha! It's hardly encouraging, is it? You don't often see that verse kind of on the fridge and the magnet, right? Or, you know, in the back of someone's car. In this life, you will have troubles. Yeah, it's not especially encouraging, but the rest of the verse really is. Because it says, in this life, you will have troubles, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And sometimes in the midst of that, you know, we need to think through where are we being fed? And so at the same time, while these kind of feelings in me of performance... And feeling like I need to uh, be approved by people and and make sure that I do a good job in order to be accepted. Or where those feelings of competition and and, uh, comparison start to kind of bubble up inside of me, which is the way I used to think all the time. As these things are coming in, I've got to think to myself, right, where am I feeding myself from? Where am I going to receive what he wants to say? Which is why I landed in Psalm 139. Because this passage tells me that he knows me. It tells me that he's with me, that he's created me, and it invites me both to be real, but then to be shaped by him. And that's what I'm trusting God's going to do in us this morning. Now, right at the start, I mean, our first six verses in one of these first sections, it's almost like David got his thesaurus out. I don't know whether you noticed that. Some of the verses will appear again on behind me, but he just wants to go to absolute lengths to make you absolutely convinced that he knows you, he knows your circumstances, and all about your life. He searches, he's discerning my coming and goings, he's perceiving my thoughts, he's familiar with my ways. It's like he's showing this comprehensive knowledge of the details. Now this, um, in a theological sense, is called the omniscience of God, that he is all-knowing. But actually, when we break it down and when we look at what he said, actually he's not trying to make a theological point, he's just showing utter Adoration for the God who he wants to know. This is confessed in very personal terms. Now what's interesting is that as I start to look in in my heart and I start to think about other people's, it's possible that I could be down myself. You see, I've heard one uh, preacher say it like this. If you could see my heart, you wouldn't bother listening. (laughs) And if I could see yours, I wouldn't bother speaking. (laughs) Right? But the truth is that God knows all the junk as well as all the great stuff he's buried inside of you. Actually, he has his hand upon us. He loves us all the same with this everlasting, pure and beautiful love. So where are we feeding ourselves from? You see, when I come to a passage like this, and I hear the voice of the Father speaking to me, it's like, Stephen, I know you. Just to say, God doesn't often call me Steve. He uses Stephen, right? It says like, Stephen, I know you. I'm for you. I know what you're going through. I know what you've been through. I know that even that stuff that you wrestle with. And my hand is upon your life. And it's my heart that he would speak that over every single one of you this morning. In his commentary on this passage, Phil Moore says, when people truly understand this psalm, they find that it is their song of freedom. Oh man, a song of freedom. What a beautiful thing. In those second six verses, they start to begin to, to remind us, to emphasize to us the fact that God is with us. Again, theologically, there is a word for this, which is the omnipresence of God, that He is everywhere and therefore uniquely able to meet and minister to you. But again, it's described in this deeply personal way. Now, perhaps more scary, I saw one commentator say, more scary than a God who pursues you to the ends of the earth is the one who the psalmist suggests is already there when we arrive. You know, I love looking back through people's lives with them and just realizing how God kind of used certain situations to be able to introduce himself to them. I can see that in, in my life and many other people's lives. We were recently, uh, I was talking to someone on a, an Alpha evening last term, and we had this conversation where I hadn't met them before, and so that particular evening, I uh, kind of sat down, introduced myself, and I said to you, her, oh, you know, how are you finding Alpha? And um, her response was, well, it's uh, It's interesting. I was like, that is such a neutral word, isn't it? It's like good, Is that bad, Is that like, you know, interesting. All right, so let's go for a different tact. So I asked the question, well, uh, you know, uh, what made you come along? And she said, well, actually, I was going through some very difficult circumstances in my life. You know, family life was, was, was very complicated. And so I decided that I need to start to learn to pray. I said, oh, okay, you started you know, to think, think about praying. That's brilliant, you know. So what happened? Well, she said, it went terribly. I tried to pray, realized I didn't know what to do. And so I, I found a Bible so I got hold of the Bible, and uh, I started reading it, thinking it might help me. And uh, she, she, said, she said, I didn't understand the Bible. It was terrible. So I found these words that said Alpha and Omega. I, like, I didn't know what that meant. So I went onto Google, and I typed in Alpha. <laughs> she said, I saw there was a course for people who want to explore Christianity. I was like, really? I was like, so then what happened? And so she said, she said I went onto my phone, and on the phone... I saw the King's Arms app. I was like, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. I'm sorry, the King's Arms app. So you put the King's Arms app on your phone. She's like, no, I never did it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you never put the app on your phone. No, 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 she said it, it ha- must have happened through an automatic update. It's like, no, that doesn't happen, by the way. <laughs> so here's me thinking, I, I, you know, I wonder what's happened here. So either she's done it and forgot about it, Either someone else did it for her, or the the choice that I prefer to believe is that God somehow super intervened at that point, sent some angel to mess around with her phone at night, knew the unlocking code, put the King's Arms app in. She was there that evening. Let me tell you, that night I preached the gospel. That night I gave the opportunity for people to respond to Jesus. That night she chose to put her trust in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? You know, God chooses to supernaturally intervene, to, to guide our lives. Maybe he's guiding you today. I was chatting to one guy who is helping on our Costa Coffee healing rooms right now. And uh, he was telling me, he only got saved three or four years ago. Now he's praying for the sick in the context of Costa with us. And um, he was saying to me that he was a bank manager. And uh, the reason his journey started was because someone came into his bank and prophesied over him as a client. And he said, it radically changed my world. It made me really think about things. And so I went home and over the next three weeks, I read the Bible cover to cover. It radically changed my life. His wife... He said his wife thought that he was going through some kind of mental breakdown because suddenly he, this humility came upon him. Suddenly he started to want to sell his own belongings, to give to people, and generosity seemed to take over. He said he found the grace of God. You know, I was thinking back on in, in my life, okay? I'm just thinking about those points, those, those realizations. Now, some of you guys have heard my story, but will give you a little bit of background, Okay. When I was um, around about seven years of age, my parents broke up. I was living in Scunthorpe. We moved off to Nottingham. Now, prior to that, I had no uh, concept or awareness of Bedford, other than my grandparents lived in Biggleswade. Anyone from Biggleswade? Yeah. All right. So my grandparents lived in, in Biggleswade, and my grandfather actually was a leader in a church. But what happened at the same sort of point that he died when I was seven, he died of stomach cancer. And uh, at the same sort of point that he died, my father very much fell away from his faith. And uh, to the point now where I would describe him as a militant atheist. He's very anti God, anti religion, which makes my life interesting. <laughs> but uh, this is the way it is. So, so, although I was dragged along kicking and screaming to church as a young child, from that kind of point around seven when I moved to Nottingham, I was there until I was 18. I thought the story of Jesus was a fairy story, okay? I thought it was a load of nonsense, a load of rubbish, and I didn't particularly go to church unless he was dragged kicking and screaming. And um, I thought that the, the, the lines written in the Bible were nothing more than a fairy story. I go off to university, spend five years in Coventry, do a degree, start a business. I move to Milton Keynes, just bring the business back here. Some people from Milton Keynes as well, come on now. Now, when I'm in Milton Keynes, I'm living the other side of Milton Keynes, and uh, when at Milton Keynes, I start dating this girl who is a, uh, uh, the sister of a good friend of mine. Now, what I decided to do at the time is then, okay, right, I, I'll try and get in with the family. She happens to be a churchgoer. And her family go to another church in, in Bedford called Rutland Road. Okay? Now, this is a key moment for me because I stumble in that day just thinking, right, you know, parents are going to like me. This is all going to go smoothly and we'll live happily ever after. I sit down in that meeting. And I remember seeing things that I did not expect. I see people worshipping with their hands up, people who seem to have a peace despite their circumstances, people who would um, you know, seem to have hope, genuinely believe this word, people who, who just seem to know where, why they're here, where they came from, where they were going. I didn't know any of these things. Now, that, that point was the point that started the trajectory of me of going on Alpha and my life being radically changed. Let me tell you something that's interesting, though is that on that day when I walked into that church, there was a table. The table, I guess, was six or seven meters from me, and the table had communion and uh, kind of the bread and the wine on where they used to break bread every week in that church. On that table, there was a plaque, and the plaque said, Alexander, Hunter, Wilson. And my grandfather had been an elder in that church for many years. And my grandma, after he died, had moved back to Scotland. I don't miss this for a minute. Because with no awareness whatsoever of all the churches in every town across the whole of the UK or beyond that I could have stumbled in to start the journey, it was the one that was six or seven meters from me that had the name of my grandfather on it. And he was an elder in that church. Now here's the thing, all right? That was, I think, 17 years between when he died... And when I went back into that church and my life changed. Martin, who I told you about, his sister was praying for him for 32 years. Can I just say to you, your prayers make a difference. Your prayers are powerful and effective. And my life is different because of my grandfather's prayers. And you, you know, could have such a massive impact on every single person that you know and that you see, seen, your family members, no matter how far away from God they are. You see, he directs the steps of our paths. He's got his hand on me. The next set of verses, verses 13 through 18, says you are wonderfully and fearfully made. Now It doesn't matter whether you have an Olympic body, like my own, Or whether you're a supermodel, whether whether you are very happy and content, whether you're secure or whether you're insecure, the reality is that you have the fingerprints of God on you. You are made unique, fearfully and wonderfully made. If you you ever want to to doubt this, you need to look at your fingerprints and realize that those fingerprints are different and unique from seven and a half billion people who are in in the world right now. They're unique. You've got the stamp of God on you. You know, it's interesting that I think when we get this and realize that every single one of us is made in his image, I think it changes how we communicate and how we see other people. We started uh, Alpha again on Tuesday. Had a brilliant night. Met lots of fun people. There was one particular uh, question as part of the evening where we say to people, hey, look, if if you knew that God was real and you could ask him any question, what would the question that you would want to ask him be? And one of the guys responded like this. He said, why am I just a fudge up? But he didn't use the word fudge. <laughs> okay. There was another guy who, who said, why am I here? Is there any purpose for me? Do you know, these verses make it absolutely clear that I can, I can completely come against that and say, you are not, and there is, you were created he knows you. He loves you. He's for you. And actually, I can speak with confidence because it's from the word of God. Yesterday, on our daddy date, me and Lexi were, were, were walking sort of by the shops, and we saw a, a young man who sat in a, in a kind of shop way. He was in a um, sleeping bag. Um, he actually wasn't rough sleeping, but he was there because he couldn't afford to eat and so on, so he was begging And um, Lexi and I went to talk to him, and uh, we sort of said, hey, how you doing? You know, there anything we can get for you. Are you hungry right now? And um, so after we'd had a little conversation, we just disappeared off to McDonald's to go and get him a burger, get him some fries, get him a cup of tea with his 68 sugars or whatever he wanted, okay? So we dashed back and, um, you know, just wanted to kneel down with him and offer to pray if we had the opportunity. What was interesting is when I got there, there was a lady already kneeling alongside him and um, having a conversation. And it became came obvious as we were kind of approaching that she was having a conversation of a spiritual background, right? And so she was, you know, sort of mentioning things about the prospect of praying. And so I figured, look, I'm going to just disrupt for a minute as well. and be like, hey, just wanted to bring your, uh, bring your food back. And, you know, is there anything that we could maybe join in, in, in praying for? And I kind of introduced myself to this lady. And uh, she was like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I know you. I come to King's Arms. Now, actually, of all the times that I don't mind making an awkward mistake like that, that was one of them, by the way. And so whilst whilst honestly I didn't recognize her, I was just so proud of the fact that it's people in this church who are down kneeling and praying for people who might well be on the street in that situation, right? So, so, Helen, if you are here, well done. But you know, but it, it was beautiful just to be able to do that. But, you know, what, what these passages tell us is we need to see people, no matter where they are and what their background, through God's eyes, okay? I had one evangelist talk to me recently about, you know, he was just saying, look, how do you move people? You know, what does it look like for, us to, for all of us to see individuals, not through our lens, but through God's lens? And his encouragement was that we should just tell people to just go into the, their town center. You go into Bedford High Street, and when you're there, you want to look people in the face. Look them in the eyes and allow God's compassion to break your heart. And what he said to me is that if that doesn't work, try tears. Try tears. These are people made in the image of God with value and worth that we are to love on. And what's interesting though is that this passage then goes out of its way to talk about life. David says that God created our inmost being. He knit us together in our mother's wombs, and he made us in a secret place. We were woven together, and his eyes saw our unformed bodies. I've got three kids, all right? And every time that I've had them, we've got one of these apps on your phone, okay? And uh, the deal is that every week, it tells you what's happening in the baby's development. It's super cute. And so to start off with, you're kind of like, ah, this week, your child is the size of a grape. Okay, next week, your child is the size of a plum, and so on. I don't know why they use fruit. now you're grapefruit-sized, or whatever. It just is what it is. But it also tells you about the baby's development. I remember this one week, right? It was around about week 10. And um, what the the, the app said is that this is the week, that if your baby is a girl, already the seeds of your grandchildren have already been formed. I'm like, that's amazing. Stunning. Wow, God, you, you knit the kids together in their mother's womb. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. But let me tell you what this verse does. is It says it's not from birth to death that he knows, but from conception to death. This passage, actually, I would suggest, speaks against abortion and it speaks against euthanasia from one end to the other. Now, it is critical, friends, and honestly, you know, I love you enough to tell you the truth. It's critical that we get our morals and our ethics, not from the newspapers and the TV shows and the chat programs, but from the word of God. Now, I just want to unpack this a little bit, okay? But let me, just to, to explain, recognize that there are many people in this room who actually might even find this topic difficult and may be affected by some of the things I'm about to mention. Now, I remember being in town once, okay? Sometimes I just go out and chat to people about Jesus. It's super fun. I remember being in town in the square in Bedford and just saying to a lady, hey, I'm a Christian, I'd love to talk to you about Jesus or whatever opening line I used in that particular moment. And uh, she kind of looked with such disdain And she was like, well, what do you think about abortion? Are you the sort of person, in essence, she's saying, who actually wants to control and restrict and prevent women from choosing what they get to do with their own body? Now, when the question is framed like that, actually, what are they trying to do? They're trying to make you look outdated, maybe like you hate women, like you're narrow-minded, that you don't understand the circumstances of our time. And if you would say, no, 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 I'm fine with it, but God says, (laughs) well, what do they think about God? What do do we think about people who restrict and stop people from having freedom of choice? We think that they're dictators, right? Terrorists, murderers, intolerant. They are oppressors. I don't know how you would feel if we started singing songs about that. It would make you feel awkward, wouldn't it? You know, we could write a new one called, Oh, Most Wonderful Dictator, (laughs) right? Or... uh, We marvel, Lord, at your tyranny. Yeah? Or, you know, we rejoice, Lord, before your great oppression. But we've never sung that, have we? We don't, because it's not true. Now, as Christians, actually, what I would suggest to you is that the issue of the unborn, and thinking about abortions in particular, the issue actually is not about choice. It's about human life. Now supposing, I actually had this conversation with this girl, supposing right now we were to grab 10 people right here off the street, all right, and I went up to them and said, right, I've got a one question survey for you. The simple question is this, when is it right to take an innocent life? What would they say? She was like, well, we'll never, it's never right to take an innocent life. I think most people certainly would say that. So the question is more, okay, okay. Is what is growing, is that baby that's growing inside the womb, is it a a human life? Is that what it is? Because if it's just tissue, if it's just a a few cells that are strung together, then actually, what am I to be able to say, you know, maybe we can dispose of it. But if it's a human life, everything changes. You see, sharing your position, they might not agree, but at least you've communicated. At least we're talking about the right thing. So when does life begin? As Christians, the Bible says, life begins at conception. Now, we should not be the angriest people on the planet, okay? But it is okay for us to disagree in love. And I would happily do that. You know, last month, you might have seen it on the news. It broke about what's happened in New York recently. And you might have seen it. They've just passed a bill where it's possible to terminate a child's life up until the point of delivery for the full 40 weeks of a, a mother's labor, uh, mother's pregnancy, excuse me. Honestly, it is frightening. It's frightening. Now, what I would say is that scientifically speaking, once upon a time, we thought maybe, maybe science will help us in the midst of this debate, argument, discussion. Because scientifically speaking, we've gone so much further than ever we have before in knowing the details and the growth of a child. Let me give you a few examples of that. It's very clear that with the baby in the womb, even at very early stages, within the first couple of weeks, we're able to detect that it's not a lump of tissue. Okay, We can see a baby moves, a baby sleeps, a baby wakes, a baby responds to stimuli like light and their mother's voice. At just eight weeks, we can do an ultrasound where you can see the baby's head and arms and legs and uh, see the heart beating. Functioning organs are already in place. We know the baby feels pain. Who can say that this human being is not worth protecting? Abortion statistics in the UK are frightening. Every single day in our country, there are around about 800 abortions. If you extrapolate that across the whole year, it's just shy of 200,000. Now, we live in a town, the entirety of Bedford, depending on where you draw the margins, of around about 120,000. And yet 200,000 lives are not seeing what they should. Now, I get that this is complicated. I get this is hard. There are so many... Fragile, delicate questions that people would want to ask at this point. And you know what? I just want to open the conversation. Because even in the midst of some of that pain, some of that questioning, I want to be someone who's willing to tell you the truth. There are two things to say, I think, which are important at this point, okay? The first is that rejecting and hating any group of people is not right. I want to speak the truth in love, okay? The second thing is that I recognize that in a room this size there are going to be people all over the place who have been affected by this issue. I want to say with all compassion and sensitivity that there is hope and life for you today. No matter where you are, there will be people here who have had an abortion. I've chatted to people after the first meeting in that position who have had an abortion and you've got questions about grace and about forgiveness and about shame and about rejection. There are people here who maybe are pregnant right now, and are thinking, man, is this, what do I do? There are people here who are counseling, supporting other people who are going through unplanned pregnancy issues, and they're thinking, how do I best support them? And there'll be people here, most likely, whose parents maybe even said to them, you know what, I wish I'd got an abortion, or we thought about getting an abortion. I just want to say to you as clearly as I can, your parents may not have planned your birth, but God did. But God did. He knows you. He plans you. Before the foundation of the earth, He knew you. If it is the case, guys, that you want anyone to chat to, talk with today, you can come and speak to us. But what I would also say, and this is perhaps even more appropriate, please take the opportunity to email pastoral at kingsarms.org because we'd love to have some people chat with you, support you, pray for you, counsel you as best as we can because God's for you. All right, let's bring this into a land, okay? The final four verses, <laughs> I'll be honest, I kind of wish weren't there. <laughs> I don't know whether you remember them as I was reading. They kind of they just stand out in the midst of everything else. I'm like, right, I'm going to preach through those first 18 verses and then the last two, and those ones I want to kind of skip. But you know what I realized? It's so important that we wrestle genuinely with what the Bible says, okay? And so we see these verses, which seem like he suddenly transformed David from being noble in his accounts to being quite venomous. It's like, away from me, take out these evil, bloodthirsty doers, and they hate you, and therefore I hate them. So we see these things, but at first glance, it might seem easier that they're they're not there. But then I would suggest it also gives us an invitation. First of all, you know, I would say that God is okay with you being real to express the emotions that God's put in your mind and heart and to be able to talk about, however it is. I think it's okay and a good thing to recognize that actually there was a cry of justice in all of us. And that is a good thing. For the last 18 months or so, I've I've been feeling a cry of justice around many, many babies that aren't able to be around now. But you don't... Needs to scroll very long through Sky News to realize there's things that for every single one of you will make you feel a righteous sense of anger. And we need to realize that I think for David here, I don't think it's spite, but it's zeal for God. And you've got to understand that some of these psalmists actually were in crazy, difficult, warlike situations. So David, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, they fought wars, and they knew what it was like to genuinely have this whole group of people surrounding them and wanting to kill them in a war situation. What we need to do is always look through Old Testament verses through a New Testament lens. All right? So what did Jesus say? Right? Jesus himself said, I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So it's okay to be real. It's okay to cry out for justice. It's okay to um, express what is on your heart. But what we also then see is David in these last two verses, and this is where we're going to land, he gives God permission to change him. To say, come and search me. Come and speak to me. come and You tell me if there is any wicked way in me because I want to respond to you. And I just wonder whether as Christians, as those who love God, those who are in this place, that we could pray pray that same thing. So let me invite you to stand with me, if you would. Why don't you stand with me? Those last two verses, they're going to appear up on the screen behind me. Well, let me just say this, okay? I do not want you to follow rules. I do not want you to live up to a certain morality level. I don't even want you just to come to church. I want you to encounter Jesus. Because that's where everything changes. Now, if it is the case that you are not a Christian here this morning, My deepest encouragement to you would say, don't move on until you have encountered and given your life to the God who knows you, who doesn't leave you, who created you, and he wants a relationship with you. If that's you, you can come and speak to one of us at the end, okay? But for every single one of us, I would also suggest that let's not move on until we've been transformed in our daily thinking, by accepting who God makes us to be, okay? So let's read these verses out together. And you can make them a prayer in your heart. Say, come and do these things in me today, Holy Spirit. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me And lead me in the way everlasting. So in Jesus' name, may it be true. God, may you search us and know us. May me receive and feed from your word in such a way, God, that we would every day step into your way everlasting. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.